What an era that was. But I tell you, we today are living in a phenomenal era in history. And God chose out of all the eras in history for us to be alive now and part of the greatest harvest the world will ever experience. So it's important that we learn from history, correct? And because I love you so much, I want to give you the very best that there is. And we are so blessed at Bethel to have tremendous gifts in our midst. Mothers and fathers in the faith. People who stand in the full potential of the five-fold ministry. Tremendous revivalists. And that's who I have for you today. A special guest. You know her as a revival historian. She literally wrote the book on Azusa. And of all the great things she is, what I love the most about her is that she is a passionate, laid-down lover of Jesus. So please welcome with me my friend, Dr. Jennifer Mizkoff. Thank you. It is so incredible to be back. Um, my last and final time on stage this year with you guys. It's been such a fun, very fun season. And I can't believe it's post-Azusa right now. How incredible. And I am excited for what God has today and so honored that Bernie would share her slot. And so let's just, why don't we stand? and position our hearts to receive what God has for us today. So why don't you guys sing this song with me? Um, Turn your eyes on Jesus. Just a, a moment to, to fix our eyes on him. So, one, two, three. Turn your
Yeah, so we fix our eyes on you, Jesus. In the midst of the transition coming, in the midst of the decisions needing to be made, in the midst of finishing well, in the midst of questions that don't have answers yet, we fix our eyes on you, Jesus, because you are the answer. Because when we see you, we have a peace that passes understanding. And so, Lord, I pray that we would see you more today. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would crash in today like there's no tomorrow. Lord, I pray for a second outpouring of the Holy Spirit on this class. That the latter would be greater than the former. That everything they've seen this far this year, they haven't seen anything yet. I thank you that you saved the best for last. And so Holy Ghost, we welcome you to meet us again. God, we thank you that you've encountered us powerfully this year. We thank you for all the encounters, God. We thank you for all the times that you've touched us and marked us. And Lord, I thank you that there's an invitation today to do it again. For a fresh outpouring, for a fresh anointing, for a fresh face-to-face encounter with you. So God, I ask that as I share these stories of your faithfulness in history and the hunger of saints who have come before, God, I pray that you would bathe this class in your peace that passes understanding, that you would bathe this class in your fire that's a deep flame, a fire that doesn't burn out, but a fire that continues to grow and grow and grow. And so that in 20 years, the flame is just increased and increased and increased. And so we welcome you today, God, to meet us however you want to meet us. If your presence doesn't mark our lives, we have nothing to give. And so God, mark us with you and with your presence today like never before. Thank you, God. And feel free, you guys know this is open. Um, If you guys are getting touched by God as I'm sharing these stories, feel free to respond to the Holy Spirit and to what the Lord is doing in your heart. The front is open as we begin. And so just, I feel like what's going to happen today is we all went to Azusa. We've all been pushing and focusing on releasing something very incredible in our generation. There's no other class in history that's been given what you guys have been given. 
There's no other class in history that has said, we're going to cancel everything and we're going to be unified for one purpose for such a time as this, to rock Los Angeles and tap into a well of revival. And so I feel like as I'm sharing, it's going to help process through what we just did in Azusa. Because I feel like a lot of us went there with different expectations and we're coming back and we're kind of thinking like, now what? What's going on now? What, what, what did we really do? What happened? And I feel like there's some prophetic things that I want to release that will help you kind of process through what this year's been about in this push. And so just, uh, I welcome you on that journey. Um, you guys have seen me talk about where the Azusa Street Revival started in the Bonnie Bray House, when people were hungry for more of the Holy Spirit, and then it led to uh, the Azusa Street Mission, and people from around the world for three years would have open meetings, and people get marked by God, they came to seek God, and then, you know, there's this group of people where the color line was washed away, and, and they just worshiped God, and then we get to, um, you know, Azusa now, now what? Like, we ended up tapping into this well of revival, and it was amazing. And I feel like some of us might be exhausted and tired, and I want to say it's okay. What we just did as a generation is we birthed something. We were carrying something, and I just want to say you guys carried it so well. Like the Lord entrusted this group of people and this generation to host the presence, to carry this and to release it. And you guys prayed, you fasted, you partnered, you didn't sit back and wait. You actually did a, an amazing work. You, you guys, like I'm so excited that everyone was all in because you guys were all in. But, but I think a lot of us might feel exhausted because we literally birthed something. We were, we were not, we weren't striving. We were just positioning. We're pushing. When you're carrying a baby, it's heavy. And then at the end you focus. And then once the baby's out, it's like, I'm exhausted. Now my life has changed. Now I don't sleep at night because I have a baby and I don't know what to do. So my whole life is readjusted. And so I don't know if you guys have felt any of this, but even the way you connect with God or others kind of feels different maybe after Zusa. Um, but that's just normal. And I just want to say, like, if you guys are exhausted, give yourself tons of grace because we literally just birthed um, this generation into a new era. I really feel significant that Saturday, April 9th, 2016, marked the first day of the next Great Awakening. I feel it's strong. To the point of, I'll share one testimony. Um, and this was my day at Azusa. People keep asking me, how is Azusa now for you? And, you know, it was actually, most of the day was filled with my family and praying that my nephew, who was homeless the week before, living on the streets, doing drugs, I was praying for his life, fighting for his life. And I knew if he made it to Azusa, if he made it on Saturday, he would be with us in this next great awakening and he would be saving people. If he didn't make it, I felt like that was his moment in time to choose. And I felt like we would be trying to save him and he would go darker. And so I prayed and prayed and, and he had no gas. And I get a text message and 10 o'clock on the day, he's trying to figure out how to get to LA with no gas and praying that he could get there. We ended up praying. Someone gave him money. He ended up showing up in a little tie, getting marked, we ran ran across some BSSM, the booth, and then they prayed and prophesied over him. They gave him money, $5, and I'm weeping, and he's weeping, because I know that's all the money he has in the world. And then I come out of the bathroom, two people are praying for him, and then I see Brandon, and I'm like, Brandon, do you have a minute? And he just loves on him and prays for him, and it was amazing. He left that day with a box of 240 Gospel of John saying, I need to go evangelize right now. And 
And, and the story's not over. You know, he's still struggling. Pray for him, please. I want to see him here next year. But the story's not over. But I know that seed was planted. I know that was the decision that changed his life because I felt like that day we were taking off, like in a boat, in a ship, in a plane. And whoever made it, we were, we were going to go and he was going to now catch souls. And now that's what he's going to do because that's the calling. And so that, that's what happened that day. Um, what, what I feel we did is we shifted the rudder of the ship of our generation. Okay. And we might not feel this like, wow, oh my gosh, just like Lonnie Frisbee, there's people being baptized at Corona Del Mar and this crazy outpouring overnight, because when you shift a rudder, you're on the big boat. You don't feel anything change, right? But over time, that, that ship is going to end up at a completely different destination. And what we did prophetically with this act of unity is we shifted our generation. Even, even though it was slight and you might not feel the impact at the moment, it's actually huge what we did. Huge. Because we tapped into this well, 110-year well, that's so deep that in three years, 100 years later, over half a billion people are saved around the world from this well. That's what we tapped into. So what, what we did, you, I just want to make, make sure you guys realize, we're still on this big ship in our generation, and the rudder might, might have got shifted an inch. And we might not feel it. But in the long run, something huge did happen. And I just want you guys to know that it is powerful. <clears throat> maybe, maybe the way we do missions looks different. Maybe we do it in family now. You know, I love, I love the new model. Um, I don't know what it's going to look like, but maybe that looks different. If, if we did it and one person got saved, it would be worth it. But we know more than one person got saved. We know God did so many, so many things. If we did it and nobody got saved, you know what? It would still be worth it. Because the, a radical act of obedience to what God is doing, no matter the results, is what he wants to lead us into. And I feel like that's one of the words for right now is, is saying yes to him, no matter if we see the results or not. Like, I don't need to know and see a result in my generation. Because if he tells me to do something, I want to do it unto him, and I can trust him with the result. And so I want to encourage you guys to reflect as you process through what God had done. On that day itself, ask, ask, like go back in your journal and write out what things happened, because I believe those are seeds that are going to later emerge in your life. Because that was the first day I feel that marked this next great awakening. And so the beginnings are really important. And there's look for the little things, the relationships, the connections, the prayers, what you stepped out in faith. And actually pray into those because I believe those are going to grow and emerge into something beautiful and wonderful. Does that make sense? Okay, so now... That's just a little bit on Azusa, and I want to go back into, um, we're chapter 11 for the history books. We're going to dive into a few revivalists, and I'm going to share their stories, and then I feel like there's a thread in these lives that's going to call us to, um, God's going to mark us in a special way. And so Charles Finney, hopefully you guys have heard of him. He was a great revivalist, and I'm just going to share a few stories of him. Um, he was in the 1700s, 1792 to 1875, born in Connecticut, eventually moved to New York. And I want to share his conversion experience, one of his defining moments. He is 29 years old, and he's walking to work. He's a lawyer. And as he's walking, he feels something drawing him to turn aside. 
And it's in the morning. And so as he's walking, he's like, something is stirring. I'm getting drawn to God. And so he turns aside and he goes into the woods and spends the whole day there calling out to God to meet him. And he's hungry. And he's like, I need to meet you, God, or else I'm going to die. I'm not going to leave here until I get met by you. He says, yes, I will accept it today or I will die in the attempt of finding God. Instead of going to the office, I turned and bent my course towards the woods, feeling that I must be alone and away from all human eyes and ears so that I could pour out my heart and my prayer to God. And as I turned to go to the woods, I recollect to have said, I will give my heart to God or I will never come down from here. He was hungry. He wanted to encounter God. And by the time he got done with the woods and encountered God and felt the peace of God, he left and it was dinner time. He had actually been there all day and not realized he'd been there all day. He goes back home. The presence of God continues to just encounter him. He has this baptism of liquid love encounter. And as soon as he, um, he goes back home, he gets out um, an instrument and starts to play, and he starts to weep in the presence of God. The presence of God just overtakes this man. And he says, as I closed the door and turned around, my heart seemed to be like liquid within me. And then he said, as I turned and was about to take a seat by the fire, I received a mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit descended upon me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in like waves and waves of liquid love. No words can express the wonderful love that I had in my heart. The waves came over and over me. And I recollect, I cried out, I shall die if these waves continue to pass over me. I cannot bear it anymore, yet I had no fear of death. And so he continues to get marked by God. Um, he's just crying out to God. Someone hears like him just calling out to God and says, are you okay? He's like, I've never felt more joy in my entire life. This very um, astute like leader in the church who's very serious came in and saw Finney. And then he busts out laughing with uncontrollable laughter for the first time, falls on the floor. And so Finney gets marked. So the very next day, he's about ready to go to work. And, and something's changed in his heart. He's still experiencing this baptism of love even when he wakes up in the morning. He goes to work and he's about ready to take on a case because he's a lawyer. And he says, you know what? I have a retainer from the Lord. I can't take this case. So he walks out, quits his job, starts to evangelize the day after he's saved. And I want to share, this is a story um, that I felt that you guys needed to hear. And he... A few years later, he starts to minister in New York. The presence of God falls, and revival starts to break out. But there's this one story of him going to a factory. And I love this story because I'm like, what would that look like if, if I did that? If I walked into a store and people just broke down and wept in the presence of God because I walked in. And so um, he goes to this factory, and he says... I observed this girl, this girl who grew more and more agitated, and she could not proceed with her work. When I came to eight to ten feet with her, I looked at her. She burst into tears. And then other people in the factory started bursting into tears. And then the, the superintendent of the factory said, 
God is doing something. We need to shut the factory down because it's more important that souls get saved than that we do work. So they shut the factory down and said, we need to find a meeting place. He found a meeting place in the factory and he ministered and almost everyone in the factory got saved. It was amazing. So revival's breaking out and breaking out and breaking out. And 20 years later, um, Finney is in, I think he's in Boston, and he's just hungry for more Lord. He goes back to these places where revival is broken out, and I think this is important because I feel like the heart of what's supposed to be released today is how do you keep the fire and grow in it and, and burn and not burn out, but just increase in the flame. And so he was burning on fire. New York was burning on fire. And then 20 years later, he goes back, and people are no longer on fire. You know, it's awesome that you guys are here for a year on fire, but come back in 20 years and still be on fire. That's like what we really need. And so he goes back and his heart is broken because he goes and sees these people and the city is not being transformed and his heart is breaking. He's like, what is wrong? These people are on fire and they're not anymore. And he said, this, my mind was exceedingly exercised in the question of personal holiness. And in respect to the state of the church, their want of God, the weakness of the churches in Boston the weakness of their faith, their want of power in the midst of such community, the fact that they were making little or no progress in overcoming the errors of the city greatly affected my mind. And he turned to prayer and he turned to study holiness. And as he's studying holiness, he has another encounter with the Lord. And it's a gradual baptism of the Holy Spirit in a new way. It's another experience where... um, He was stirred to a place of total consecration and surrender, even of his wife. He was struggling with the Lord, and the Lord's like, well, you even surrender your wife to me. And he struggled and finally surrendered everything. And when he did, the presence of God came, and it just marked him in a new way, so much so that he said his previous experience was nothing compared to this new experience that he had had. And so he kind of came to the conclusion that holiness is huge for sustaining revival. And that's something that we can learn from his story. He impacted many people. The second great awakening was largely in part, he led over 500,000 people to Christ, developed new methodology for drawing people to Christ. The altar calls were partially because of him. He said, hey, come choose Christ now, don't wait. And so he was just a really significant man, but he had two encounters. One was in the woods, brought him to the Lord, and one was 20 years later and was a renewing of the fire inside. And then we get to Moody. D.L. Moody. Some of you guys have heard of him, and I like, I like this picture. It's a fun picture that most people probably haven't seen of D.L. Moody. And this is what D.L. Moody said. <laughs> I do not know of anything that America needs more today than men and women on fire with the fire of heaven. And I have yet to find a man or a woman on fire with the Spirit of God that is a failure. I believe it is utterly impossible. They are never discouraged or disheartened. They rise higher and higher and it grows better and better all the while. My dear friends, if you haven't this illumination, make up your mind that you're going to have it. Pray, O God, illuminate me with thy Holy Spirit. Wow. We just need to be on fire. That's it. So here's this man, and he is a shoe salesman. He gets sent off to to, um, sell shoes and with his uncle, I believe. And one of his only requirements is that he has to go to church. So he goes to church. And his Sunday school teacher 
named Edward Kimball is really burdened for his heart. And so one day he goes to his shoe, sh- shoe store where he's selling shoes and he brings the gospel to him and convinces him to get saved. And this is one of the important points for Azusa and tying in what we just did at Azusa. Moody goes on to save many people, start many movements. Thousands of people are brought to the Lord in his ministry, as we'll find out. But Edward Kimball planted one seed in one man. He didn't see the impact the next day, probably not the next year. Moody didn't really like grow and be super successful in his ministry till many years later. But that one seed that was planted... Thousands and thousands and thousands of people got saved, not to mention those people that got touched by the thousands and thousands of people that got saved. And so what we just did at Azusa, we planted seeds. Some people got saved. We're not going to see the impact of their life tomorrow. It might be five or 10 or 15 years, but how do we know that someone we gave gave a prophetic word to, someone that we led to the Lord, someone that got healed because of our prayers, how do we know, what if that was the next D.L. Moody? What, was that, what if that was the next Billy Graham? You know, we, we're not going to see the impact of what we did for some time, but, but it doesn't take away that it was very significant. And so Moody goes on to start Sunday school. I like this picture too. He's hanging out with the, the street, the kids. He actually would go for the people that weren't saved, and he would just do this Sunday school. His Sunday school grew, I think, to 1,500 people. Even um, Abraham Lincoln came to attend his, his Sunday school. Just really successful um, what he was doing. He goes to England on a trip in 1867, and he hears somebody who said the phrase, the world has yet to see what God will do with and for and through and in and by the man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. And when he heard that quote, he was marked and he said, I want to be that man. And he said to himself, he did not say a great man or a learned man or a rich man or an eloquent man or a clever man, simply a man. Well, I am a man. It lies with man himself whether he will or will not make that full and entire consecration. And I will, to my utmost, try to be that man. And so he tried to live in full and total consecration. And another story I want to share, because many people don't hear this story about Moody, is he went to England, it was in 1867, to minister. And there's this boy preacher called Henry Morehouse, 17 years old preaching in England, the gospel. And he feels like the Holy Spirit is highlighting D.L. Moody to him. He's drawn to him. So he goes to D.L. Moody and says, hey, when, when is your ship going back to America? Because I want to go with you. He's inviting himself. I want to go preach at your church. It sounds kind of funny, right? Like, who does that? But he did it. And he's like, no, I feel like I'm supposed to preach at your church. You're highlighted to me. And D.L. Moody kind of blew him off because he heard about this boy preacher and he, he, he just thought, this guy can't preach. Who is this kid? I don't know who this guy is. And so he kind of blew him off and didn't really respond. He gets a letter a few weeks later after he's back home from Henry Morehouse. Hey, I'm going to come to America. I want to preach at your church. Let me know if I can come. And then he gets a second letter. And then he gets a third letter and says, I'm going to be here next week. Can I come? <laughs> this kid's persistent, Right? And finally, Moody's going to be out of town that time. And he's like, you know what? 
I'll just let this kid, he gave it to the staff, let this kid preach once. If he does good, let him preach again, but I'm, I'm going to be gone, so you guys just take, take this kid. And so they give him this opportunity to preach. He preaches on John 3.16 for the whole time. And Moody's wife is getting rocked by God. Everyone in the congregation is getting rocked by God. He preaches the next night because it went so well, and he preaches on John 3.16 again. And he expounds the whole gospel with John 3.16. Moody comes back and is like, what's going on? And everyone's just rocked by this message of this boy preacher. And so he's like, I got to hear him. So he preaches again, and Moody's sitting there in listening to him and he is getting marked by God. He's like, oh my gosh, he's preaching on John 3, 16 and everything shifted for Moody. He's like, God is not coming after us with a sword because we're sinners. He's coming after us with love and it shifted a paradigm in Moody so much. He's like, we're going to have him come again. So now it's Monday night when people don't normally go to church. Everyone's coming, bringing their Bibles to hear this boy preacher and he preaches on John 3.16. And this is what Moody says. I never knew at that time God loved us so much. This heart of mine began to thaw out. I could not keep back the tears. It was like news from a far country. I just drank it in. And then the next time he heard him, he said, he struck a higher note than ever. It was sweet to my soul. He just beat that truth down in my heart, and I've never doubted it since. I used to preach that God was behind the sinner with a double-edged sword, ready to hew him down. I have done, I'm done with that now. I preach now that God is behind him with love and is running away. He is running away from the love of God. And then Tuesday, he preaches on John 3.16 again. And still, Moody's marked again, and he says, It seemed to strike a higher chord still. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him should not perish, but have. Not going to have when you die. But have it right here and right now, eternal life. And by that time, we began to believe it, and we have never doubted it since. He continued to preach this for seven nights straight. And so the reason I felt that story was important um, to release for people in the room, is there's a reason certain leaders are highlighted to you. They need you as much as you need them. And so I just want to encourage you with courage to step through fear of offense or rejection and pursue those the Lord is highlighting because they need you as much as you need them. There's a reason. There's a reason Not every leader is highlighted, but there's certain leaders that are. And when you hear them speak, when you see them do ministry, when you see them do something, something inside of you is burning on fire and coming alive. Find out why. I pursued leaders through fear of rejection and helped birth books with them and done other things with them. And it seems like it doesn't make any sense. I'm drawn to this person, but everyone else is too. But no, I am, and I need to follow that. And there's a reason you're drawn to certain people, because you carry a gift that they need, and they carry a gift that you need. The woman that poured out the perfume at the feet of Jesus, her brother Lazarus, was dead and Jesus came and raised her brother from the dead so of course 
Her acts of love and thanksgiving to Jesus was to pour out expensive perfume that would have cost a year's wages. And the disciples, Jesus' best friends, were indignant. They were mad. They weren't just upset a little. They were indignant that how could she lavish this much love on Jesus? This money could have been used for the poor. We could have sold this perfume. I feel like the Lord is entering us into a season where we're going to have to love Jesus lavishly regardless of who we offend. And so I just declare over everyone in this room, perfect alignment with heaven to be aligned with the leaders and the friends and the people you need to be aligned with in this next season, especially as you're about to go home. I just declare hope in Jesus' name that everything that's been poured out will carry over, that God will align you. You will not be alone. You will have a tribe. You will have your people. And even if you end up going to the darkest places because God's sending you, that your eyes would be open to see the hosts and the angels and the saints of old that are cheering you on. Moody met a friend. Speaking of covenant friends, Ira Sankey, he played music. So they would go and he would preach and he would do worship together and the presence of God would come. And there's just a beautiful synergy with um, partnering with people with different giftings to release the kingdom. This is a picture of them doing a meeting, I believe, in, in, in the UK. And, and in 1871... So Moody has this, you know, he, he knows the Lord. He's got this incredible ministry. Just things are happening. 1871, there's these two women that come to his church and say, we're going to pray for you because we want you to be baptized with power from on high. And Moody's looking around and saying, I have one of the biggest churches in Chicago, one of the biggest Sunday schools. I'm very successful. Why do I need this power? You should pray for the people in my church. But they just continue to pray, and they convinced him to meet with him on Fridays and to pray for more of the power from on high. Then he's preaching one time in October 1871. As he's preaching, the, there's a bell, a fire bell in the city. There's a great fire that hits his city. And as he was preaching, he gave people a week to decide if they wanted to come to Christ or not. Fire hits his town, destroyed 18,000 buildings, 50 churches, killed 300 people, displaced over 100,000 people. And because he had offered them a week to choose Christ, some of the people died without having the opportunity to know the Lord. Something marked him during the fire. Something marked him in praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit for this endowment on, on high. And so in December of 1871, he's, he's in New York, and he's taking a break. And he had been wrestling for four months with this greater encounter of the, the baptism of this Holy Spirit that the, these girls were talking about. And as he's walking in the streets of New York, he feels the presence of God and he turns aside and he finds a friend who lives there and says, I need a room in your room. I need to come in your house and take a room and be with the Lord. So he turns aside, goes into this room in New York and seeks the Lord and the power from on high. He gets marked by a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. He turned aside. Remember Finney? He was walking to work. He felt something. He turned aside and went to the woods. Moody, turn the side.
got a, got a room, whatever it took, and he sought the Lord. The power of God fell upon him as he walked up the street, and he had to hurry off to the house of a friend and ask that he might have a room by himself. And in that room, he stayed alone for hours. The Holy Ghost came upon him, filling his soul with such joy that at last he had to ask God to withhold his hand, lest he die on the spot from the very joy. And then, and then Moody himself said, well, one day in the city of New York, I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I went on preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths, yet hundreds were converted, and I would not be placed back where I was before that blessed experience. So he has this encounter. doesn't change the way he preaches, but God just comes in a greater measure. Then he goes to England. And this is going to be important for you guys because some of you are going back to your home countries. Uh, Some of you might be traveling, and I feel like you're going to step into something with a greater anointing where you're not necessarily going to do anything different than you did before, but the presence and power of God is going to be so in your life that you're going to see greater signs and wonders and something different when you go back from what's been poured out here. And so he goes to England. He's already been there before. And as he's preaching, he said the very atmosphere was charged with the Spirit of God. When, I had, when he had finished preaching, he asked all who wanted to be Christians to rise that he might pray for them. People rose all over the house till it seemed like the whole audience was getting up. And Moody said to himself, these guys don't understand what's going on. Because before he would see one or two or three saved. But now they're all getting standing up in mass. And he's like, they didn't understand what I said. He had never seen such results. He did not know what to make of it. The the minister was surprised, as was Moody. They had never expected to see such blessing. They had not realized that God can save by hundreds and thousands as well as by ones and twos. He ended up staying there and ministering. The Cambridge Seven, who started the China, China Inland Missions under Hudson Taylor, were released there. Moody and Sankey, they spread revival fires over London, preaching to 20,000 people. In Scotland, 30,000 people. It is believed in just three years during his travels in the UK, he ministered to over two and a half million people. And by the end of his time in England, he was known as one of the greatest evangelists in that era. He also um, had an organic meeting of uh, students, and they ended up going after this baptism of the Holy Spirit, getting marked by God. And what emerged from that was the student volunteer movement for foreign missions. There was, by 1911, over 5,000 volunteers had come out of this movement. They went to the World's Fair in Chicago um, in 1893, and over 130,000 people were evangelized during that time. And so we get this man who has impacted over 100 million people. But you have this man named Edward Kimball who said yes to being obedient and planting a seed in one person's life and going to a shoe store and evangelizing to someone selling shoes and look at the fruit that was born and so every single seed that you guys planted in Los Angeles the Holy Spirit's going to water those seeds And we may or may not see it in our lifetime, but there's going to be ripple effects for eternity from what was released and poured out from our yes to him. It's huge. The cool thing is, years later, Moody got to lead Edward Kimball's sons to the Lord, so it was kind of like this full circle 
thing, which is beautiful. And I, I want to read a couple quotes by Moody. He says, I believe this is a mistake many, as, many of us are making. We are trying to do God's work with the grace he gave us 10 years ago. We say, if it is necessary, we will go on with the same grace. But now what we want is a fresh supply, a fresh anointing, a fresh power. And if we seek it and seek it with all of our hearts, we will attain it. And another, another quote he talked about, people were asking him about preaching and what if the church doesn't want you to preach? And this is what he said. He said, if the people don't want you, don't force yourself upon them. Go out and preach to the ragged and the destitute. If you can't work in the church, don't leave it. But go out and hold cottage meetings, hold house meetings. In the schoolhouse, hold meetings on the hilltop. This is what Christ did. Pray God to fill you with the Holy Ghost. Nothing can stop a man who is red hot and full of the Holy Spirit. If we cannot get the people to come to church, let us go into their house. I believe that a man or a woman who is filled with the Spirit of God can gain access to the hearts of people and can have conversion anywhere and everywhere. This is a class of people who don't believe in revivals and in what we call conversions. Don't quarrel with them, but go right to work and have conversions. So as we get sent out, some churches will welcome us, some won't. I mean, Heidi's, Heidi tells me this all the time. Whether a church invites you or not, go preach the gospel. Go on the streets. If you're an evangelist, evangelize. It doesn't matter where you go or who invites you. If you're burning hot for something, just go do it. And let God work in and through your life. And then when the doors open, that's awesome. Go with it. But there's going to be a certain place. We are pioneers. We just pioneered shifting everything to go to Azusa. Like, how many people do that? Who says yes to that? We pioneered. We did something not been done before. And as you guys do, so pioneers don't usually get open doors. They usually have scars from trying to knock down things and pave the way. And so don't give up and still do what you're born to do, but it might look different than a traditional church setting. Maybe you'll start a church in a home by hanging out with people on the street and bringing them to Jesus. And one more person, one of my heroes, Carrie Judd Montgomery. This woman has actually changed my life. My faith has gone at a completely different level. Through learning about her and reading her, I've shifted the way I think. She's taught me how to have faith above seeing. So if the Lord says something, I can choose to step out and believe it regardless of what reality says because of her faith. And so she had an encounter, too, where she was healed, crazy healing testimony, and and just marked by God. But then she has this awesome healing ministry. Tons of people get healed, very successful, just like Moody was successful. But when she's 50 years old, things are happening at Azusa Street. 1906, 1908, Azusa Street, there's this new outpouring of the Holy Spirit in her time. And so she's 50, already a successful minister, but she says, if there's more that God has for me in my generation, I want to get it. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care if I'm already successful. If there's more, I want it. And so at 50, she hungers and thirsts and prays and has a second crazy encounter, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaks in tongues and is marked by God. Even though it looked different and weird. 
She said, I had myself received marvelous anointings of the Holy Spirit in the past, but I felt if there was more for me, I surely wanted it, as I could not afford to miss any of the blessing that the Lord is pouring out in these last days. But not just that. She had encounters in between that. She went one time when she was young to a friend's house because she heard that this friend had had this just awesome encounter with the Lord. And so she goes to this friend's house and the friend's like, are you ready for dinner? And Carrie looks at her and says, I don't want to eat dinner. I just want God. And she just stayed praying and hungering for more of God. And even after she had this radical encounter of baptism of the Holy Spirit at 50, even after that, she says, early this morning, as the power of God was upon me, and as I was recognizing the presence of the indwelling comforter and worshiping him in his temple, I was led out in prayer for different things, but all at once he said to me, I want you to recognize definitely that I am filling the temple. Of course, I know he always fills it. But this was something different, and he wanted the recognition that every part of spirit, soul, and body was pervaded with his presence. And that meant, as he revealed to me his meaning, that I should drop even prayer for the time and be occupied with the presence of his glory. And I said, O oh God, the Holy Ghost, thou art filling the temple, and immediately, just as though a little vial of adder of roses had been broken in this room, and every part of it would soon be filled with the perfume so the presence of his glory sensibly pervaded every part of my being and even love and prayer were lost in worship then I thought of the time in the Old Testament when the temple was so filled with God's glory that the priest could not even stand to minister there is therefore an experience beyond service and beyond prayer and that is a revelation of his own personality to such an extent that there is nothing but adoring worship filling our being Usually it is a blessed experience to be able to speak in tongues, to let the heavenly song flow out. But there are times when even tongues cease, when his presence is so all-pervading and the atmosphere is so heavenly that I cannot talk at all in any language. But the power of his blessed spirit upon me is so marvelous, it seems as though I was almost dwelling in heaven. And Carrie loved the presence of God. That's one of the reasons I think I've been drawn to her, is she just loved Jesus and loved the presence. And it didn't matter what denomination someone was in. It didn't matter what belief system someone had. When she got healed, she freely received. She wanted to freely give. So as soon as she got healed, she shared that testimony, and many people got healed. As soon as she had this encounter of baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, she shared that experience with people so other people could be led to have the same thing. Not to convert them to a religion or to a denomination, but to share the beautiful things God had done in her life. And in 1893, she planted this is the home of peace in Oakland, California. This is a special place. This was a healing home. People from around the world came to seek for more of the Holy Spirit to be healed, but then later to seek for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is the same place where Lou Engel and his team was there a few years ago as they did a prayer and fasting for the call Berkeley. And this is the same place where Lou was on his 40-day fast and in the beginning of his 40-day fast, he felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit saying, you need to reconcile with a man named Fred Berry. So he called up Fred Berry, and he apologized, and he reconciled. And as they're having this moment of reconciliation, Fred Berry is like, when are you going to come and do the call L.A.? L.A. is waiting for you. 
So something that was birthed in 1893 is still hosting the presence and releasing the kingdom of God because the presence was hosted so well there for over a hundred years. That's amazing to me. Oh, and the other thing about Carrie is... the speed there's her A.B. Simpson you guys have heard of Simpson University Um, he is the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance they were really good friends and you know what he never spoke in tongues and that was a big deal back in the early days but you know what their friendship superseded any sort of um, theological differences because relationship was more important. And the thing that Carrie carries that we need is this relational web of friendship that is more important than theological differences. What does it look like when we can choose to love each other, whether we've had a certain encounter experience or not? Or whether you preach the gospel that way and I preach the gospel this way. How can we love each other even if it looks different? And that is something that Carrie did so well. And I think that's something that we can learn from her life. And so just to, to recap, there, there's a pattern in the people that I am sharing with you for a reason. We're going to get to that in a minute. But from Finney's life, we learned that holiness is one of the sustaining aspects of revival of burning. There's something about holiness and walking in holiness and consecration that will keep the fire burning and burning. We learned from Henry Morehouse, it's important to step through a fence and fear to serve leaders and partner with what God is doing, even if it doesn't make sense. We learned through Kimball that every act of faith produces something whether we see the results or not. And then through Finney Moody and Carrie Judd, there's something about staying hungry. All three of these stories have something in common. They had successful ministries. Finney was leading revival. Stuff was happening. But later on in his life, he was still hungry for more. And he had the second baptism encounter. Moody, he was so successful in ministry. He had built the largest church in Chicago. Awesome Sunday school was happening. But these people said there's more. And so he believed them and prayed for more. And he had another radical encounter with the Holy Spirit. Carrie Jeb Montgomery was very well known in the healing world. And at 50, when you think you've already known everything and you already have an established life and ministry, she's like, if there's more, I want it. And so what I want to say is, even in the last days at BSSM, there's still more. There's still more. And I just want to have you guys stand up right now. And I'm actually going to, in light of Finney, because he kind of invented this, it was partially invented, I feel like I want to do an altar call for those who want a second baptism of fire and a fresh outpouring of the Spirit, because some of you guys are going to need an extra measure of the grace of God and the fire of God for where you're going.
can we have the worship band come up? Already up. Yeah, you guys can just go ahead and start playing. Be awesome. Thank you guys. You're already here. So if you can't make it all the way to the front, that's okay. Just position your hearts right now. God can meet you wherever you're at. It's more of a heart heart response. But what we're about to go into when you guys leave here, you need an extra measure. You need an extra baptism. You need an extra fire in you. Because some of you guys are going somewhere that is going to be hard. And it's not going to be easy. And so right now, we ask Holy Spirit, just like you did for Finney, Moody, and Carrie Judd Montgomery, we ask for another baptism of fire right now. We ask for an extra measure of the Holy Spirit to be poured out right now, God. I pray that you would mark them, mark them, mark them, mark them, mark them, God. We ask for more of you, God. We ask for consecrated lives, lives that walk in the highway of holiness, God. Lord, I ask that the latter would be greater than the former, God. I declare Haggai 2 over this class, God. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We welcome the fire of God to come. God, I ask that you would anoint them. Meet us however you want to meet us today. 